Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast looking at the cinematic career of action star Dolph Lundgren. Today we're going back to 2009 and taking a look at the shoot-em-up actioneer, Direct Contact. In this goofy 80s throwback, Dolph plays Mike Riggins, an ex-Special Forces badass who has sprung from an East European prison to rescue a kidnapped American in Bulgaria. Yet when it's apparent that things aren't what they seem, and that Riggins has been manipulated by his own employers, he pulls out the necessary firepower to set things right. You think you're a big shot, don't you? I should kill you right now. That's no way to start a friendship. American citizen has been kidnapped. Well, I'm here to get you away from the kidnappers. Oh, I wasn't kidnapped. So how come everyone's looking for you? I have no idea. Shoot now! Now! You got 20 seconds to give me my money. You'll never live long enough. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me once again for a second round is my buddy Doug Greenberg of the Rocky Minute. Doug, thank you so much for coming back, man. Hey, Sean, thanks for having me. This you you said it all, man. You said '80s throwback action flick, and that that was one of my notes. This really had all the feeling of like a of like a classic '80s action film. This is such a dopey movie. I mean, I'm just saying right now, this, this movie is <laughs> is so dopey, but it it's it's dopey and kind of silly in such a fun way. I mean, it really is. Fun and I mean, right. there, yeah. There's a there's a few scenes that we're gonna be getting to that I'm kind of like, man, that's that's kind of ugly there. I think they probably could have excised those bits, but for the most part, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this film is extremely just silly and, and it, it knows it, I think. And that's one of the things where it wears it on its sleeve. And I think that's kind of one of the things that, uh, that, that, that makes it fun in my opinion. Well, that's one of the things that those movies did back in the eighties though, right? Like they, they, they weren't, you know, trying to grasp any Oscars or anything like that. They were, they were just going for the, for the fun thrill ride as much blood and, and, uh, you know, explosions as you can possibly fit into a 90 minute movie. It's, it, I mean, yeah, you, you said there's some that, that probably could be clipped out, but I think it, it's lean at what 93 minutes or 95 minutes. It's, it, it's tight. The story, like the story had me pretty involved when, you know, in, in your typical eighties action movie, you were, did you really care so much about the story? You just wanted to see the, the, the bombs go off and the, and the bloods and the squibs go off. 
But I, I, I really, really enjoy this one. Well, that, that's great to hear. That's great to hear because I was a little, I was a little hesitant on. I mean, because a lot of these films, I mean, let's face it, a lot of people may know who Dolph Lundgren is, but I think he's probably forever going to be known as uh, Drago from Rocky Four, maybe The Expendables, mm-hmm. uh, Universal Soldier. But I mean, he did just a slew of these, of these, you know, small little independent direct-to-video action films. And a lot of them are a ton of fun. And that's one of the great things about the show is um, not only getting in contact and, and meeting uh, uh, gentlemen such as yourself and kind of establishing these friendships, but it's also been getting to introduce people to these type of films that, let's face it, I don't think you would have sought out. You wouldn't even really know about had I not brought it to you, right? No, definitely not. And that that is one of the, the weird things about Dolph Lundgren because, I mean, you take a guy like – uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal, and they had a ton of these movies, but they got, uh, they got theater releases and, and they were, they had bigger followings and stuff. Like why, why does poor Dolph, what was he getting such little love back in the day? Yeah. Well, that, 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 that's great to hear you say that. I'm curious because, you know, I'll kind of let the listeners and everybody know how, you know, we decided, uh, on this particular one, this was a fun one that I kind of handpicked for you because we had a great time chatting another Dolph Lundgren new image collaboration called Direct Action. And I remember uh, we had such a good time chatting that, and you said, dude, I'd love to come back. What else is on the docket? And I said, well, you know, it's funny. Uh, we just discussed this film, Direct Action. About four years later, he did another movie with the word direct in the title, uh, mm-hmm. Direct Contact. So <laughs> I figured, you know, it, it only makes sense that uh, – that uh, we take on this this one as well. I'm curious, before we fully get into the film, how did this one compare to direct action? Because I remember you saying that you really enjoyed direct action. Uh, how about this one? Would you say you enjoyed this one more, or is it about on the same level? No, I like this one a lot better. In, in hindsight, or com- in comparison, I should say, I think direct action was was a little more sloppily put together than this. This was actually, it was filmed pretty... Uh, you know, it, it it looked good. You know, it wasn't. It didn't look like it was filmed with a, you know, uh, like a home video recorder. Uh, the 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 pyrotechnics outrageous, man! All the explosions and the, you, like this. From what I read, this this film had a six million dollar budget, and I think a bulk of that went to the pyrotechnics and the blood squibs and everything because they they really went all out on those and they looked fantastic. Well, and let's face it too. I mean, when I when I kind of directed you get the plan Say direct there. again <laughs> uh, there you go when i when i kind of threw this one out there at you um i remember i gave you a couple actually and mm-hmm. i said well you know he did this one direct contact and i said all i'll tell you to do i think i sent you like a youtube clip or whatever from the end yeah, and but- all you had to see was the bad guy blowing up midair and i remember you said yeah we're, we're i gotta do that one please that's all i needed to see <laughs> yeah, you know the the other one you um you told me about was uh, when he was a drummer in that rock band, uh, and he Command like saves the, yeah, yeah. Um, and I I heard your review on that one. I was like, man, I kind I, I kind of wish I I took that one, but then after watching this, I was like, yeah, I made the right choice because this. I mean, I I still want to get around to to watch that command performance because it sa- it sounded like a like a cool like a departure from from like him you know typically being like a you know uh. A, an ex special special operatives guy, you know, who's 
saving the day somehow. You know, it just that just seems like the like the classic movie role for one of these action stars. But uh, but I, I am glad that that I went with this one. Well, you know, I will say about this particular film, I kind of had this this epiphany as I was uh, as I as I was watching it because this is this is about the third I want to say the third time I've seen this, which is really kind of bizarre to say that I've seen this film, uh, you know, a, a few times. Um, but, you know, it, it, I didn't realize it back when I saw it in 2009, um, but I really picked up on it on my most recent viewing. I will say about this film, I feel like this is the quintessential Dolph Lundgren film. I, now, I will say, I don't think it's the best Dolph Lundgren film, but I feel like this is the Dolph Lundgren film that is delivering everything that the big guy you know, can't do. I mean, this, mm -hmm. to me, at least, this almost feels like a fan film in many respects, because, I mean, this film is literally checking all of the boxes of what makes Dolph Lundgren the compelling presence that he is. I mean, all of the qualities that uh, that Lundgren possesses are on display here in this film. I mean, if you just want to run down the list, I mean, first of all, he's a badass in this film. I mean, mm -hmm. he's just an ultimate badass. He gets to fire a machine gun. He has a cocky swagger. He he looks really cool in the film. I mean, I will just say he looks so cool with that with that really cool like kind of spiked haircut that he has. <laughs> and also, he's he's extremely funny. I mean, he's really funny in this film. He's really charming. And these are all qualities that if you run through his filmography, you know, a lot of the films he has a little bit you know there and a little bit here. But I feel like this film really was made because I mean I I. I kind of did some research on this film as well. I have a, a sneaking suspicion. I think this film was made pretty much for him and with him in mind. I mean, I think the mm. role was specifically written for him. And I feel like when I said it's a fan film, I feel like if you had come to me, Doug, and you had said, if you're a producer, and you said, hey, Sean, I have, uh, I have X, X amount of dollars and I have Dolph Lundgren available for two weeks. Okay, I need you to craft a script that is going to utilize him and do everything that he can do and make the fans happy. Please do it. I feel like this is the kind of script that I would have written to, to utilize yeah. that. Yeah, totally. That makes total sense. And another like, a, a thing that I really liked about this too. And I, cause I remember talking about when we were doing direct action saying that they didn't really display his hand to hand fighting as much as they probably could have and should have. But in this, like they, they have a couple of fight scenes and, and he's really, he's kicking ass and they look really good. You know, it's not too choppy. Even, even some of the stuff in direct action was really choppy. Um, but it, it looks great. It flows. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I really have a lot of good things to say about this. Well, and I love the fact that you said that, uh, yeah, this was a $6 million budget and they used that effectively and appropriately. I mean, Let's face it. I know that I know that you're the big Stallone guy, but I mean, <laughs> Escape Plan Two and Escape Plan Plan Three. I saw those, and you know what? I mean, I would be. I, I mean, I, I don't even think it's a uh, it's a secret. I think most of that budget went toward Stallone's salary because those mm -hmm. movies just look like dirt. As opposed yeah. to this, I mean, this the money is on screen. I mean, for it being a little independent, you know, direct video film. I mean, man, back in the day. They put that to work, and yeah, this film just has explosions galore. Yeah, and in two thousand nine, what I mean, what was the average budget for films? You know, back then. I mean, granted, this was independent direct to video, 
but like your big budget films that that have just as much explosions and and fighting and blood squibs and everything that i mean you're you're spending what 200 million dollars on those films 100 million dollars yeah yeah i mean so that's one of the things that i really appreciate it um and before we before we really fully get into this i feel like it's uh I feel like it was it was kind of a, a fun idea when you and I were talking. I decided because the film is just so goofy. Um, I feel like it only makes sense that we uh, <laughs> nice. we partake right. in, a, in a in a beverage. Um, I don't know about you, but I am drinking a uh, Line and Lugal's Summer Shandy. How about you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got a Basil Hayden's uh, bourbon, twelve year old. Um, I think we should have a hold hold your drink up for a virtual uh, cheers. Yeah, there, there we go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I, I feel like both of these drinks, this, this beer that I have, probably maybe more so the bourbon that you're drinking. Actually, I feel like Dolph's character, Mike Ribbon, Mike Riggins, excuse me, would probably veer more toward the bourbon than he would a summer shanty. <laughs> so excellent choice there. Actually, he would, uh, he, you know, after a fight in a bar, he would sit down among the the strewn about bodies and blood dripping from his nose and order a bourbon shoot it real quick yeah, and then walk and out he, the door. <laughs> and he'd see me with my summer shandy and he'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Look, don't sleep on the summer shandy, sip- man. That's, that's, I, I enjoy that beer. Okay. Okay. Well, a couple things about this film. Uh, we'll just kind of go into the, the pre-production phase of this film. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned command performance because the big reason why this film exists and why it happened is, due to command performance. So the story goes, actually, that uh, Dolph was trying to get a a real passion project going, and he was seeking financing and distribution for it. That was, in fact, command performance. Okay, so this is is a film that Dolph was starring in, that he was going to direct, that he co-wrote, all that good stuff. So he goes to New Image, uh, which is a company that he had worked with numerous times before. New Image, of course, is now Millennium Films who are responsible for the Rambo movies and the Olympus has fallen movies, you know, pr- pretty much. I, I feel like they are making the best action movies that we are getting today, mm-hmm. actually. But back in 2008, he was trying to get this project going. And so he goes to new image. And while it is not explicitly stated that this is what happened, I'm pretty certain that this is how it went down. Okay. Dolph goes to new image, new image agrees, uh, though. They also have this project lined up called direct contact which was almost seemingly written with Dolph in mind, because I can't imagine anyone else playing the lead. Okay. It was written by a guy by the name of Les Weldon, and it was directed by Danny Lerner. Now here's where things get interesting here, Doug. Okay. Danny Lerner is the younger brother of Avi Lerner, who is the head of new image. So I feel like, (laughs) I feel like it became a matter of, yeah, we'll finance and produce your movie. If you star in this film, we're prepping that just so happens to be directed by my little yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my little brother wants to get this movie going. You need to star in this one if you want us to fund your next movie. Oh. <laughs> that, that actually, when, when you put it in those terms, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's typical, like, you know, uh, backdoor deals, Hollywood garbage or off Hollywood. If you, you know, if you're, if you're talking, uh, independent, but. Um, yeah, I, I would believe every word of that if, if that was the case. Well, in the film, I mean, if, if you just want to get right into the film right now, the film opens with a uh, particularly uh, this one thing that I thought was kind of funny about it. It opens with a really kind of bizarre opening title sequence where the camera is 
flying through the clouds and yeah. the camera work and the font used. It almost makes you think that this is one of those direct-to-video stealth fighter thrillers from the yeah. 90s. You know what I mean? Oh. Like, this is a movie about, like, the like a stolen airplane. But no, there's no airplanes. Yeah, I, I, was, I was just thinking that, too. How, how, like, if you told me it was just based on those, the, the, the title sequence, um, you know, I would say it's about a plane hijacking or something like that. Yeah, no. No airplanes are in this film. However, there are a ton of helicopter sequences, but I'm assuming a lot of these helicopter sequences are actually stock footage sequences from the uh, Millennium Films library, actually. So, well, I did I did read that they use a lot of stock footage. I I was looking out for it, but um uh you know, I I really couldn't pinpoint it was it wasn't I think it was in wasn't direct action that uh that there was some some really bad stock footage that was used that just looked completely out of place um but this i mean if they did use any stock footage from the the the, uh the library there i don't know i I think it fit in pretty well it it blends in pretty seamlessly the the only stock footage uh or the only sequence to me where i'm thinking man this looks really familiar is um millennium did a uh a film with uh, jean-claude van damme around 2002 i want to say called derailed and I feel like one of the car chase sequences came from that. But you know what? It, it It's not incredibly jarring. It doesn't stand out. You watch it, and it, it kind of blends in fairly seamlessly with the narrative of the film. Yeah. Like I said, I, it it did blend in seamlessly. And I I mean, I didn't keep, like, a close eye out for it. But if it was, if it was like, egregious, I, I would have noticed it. And it wasn't so. Well, and when we first meet the character of Mike Riggins, which, by the way, Dolph's, Dolph's name in this film is kind of cool. But when we first meet his character, he's in a scuzzy prison in the Balkans of Europe. And, uh, you know, it's establishing. I mean, th- I mean, this is I feel like this is action movie 101, you know, action, action movie screenplay 101 here. OK, you have to establish right off the bat that your lead, your hero is a badass who's mm-hmm. not going to take shit from anyone. And so when we first meet him, he's sitting there in this prison. He's eating gruel, it looks like. And I love how he's wiping he's wiping his mouth on his on his jacket as yeah, he's yeah. eating it. Um, <laughs> one thing that's kind of funny is for for a guy being in a uh, in a East European prison, he is so cleanly shaven, and his teeth are just incredibly white. I don't know if you <laughs> noticed that. Either. That's a good good point. Good pickup. But when yeah, when some of the prison inmates start hassling him. He immediately lets the audience know, okay, that this is a guy. He's not gonna. He's not gonna take this. And he beats all their asses. He even plunges a knife into one of the inmates' eyes. I mean, mm-hmm. and so this act gets Riggins put into the hole where he is beaten and mistreated. But yeah, I mean, this this is Dolph. I mean, again, it's 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 that fan film. I feel in a lot of ways, it's it's checking that box of making him a badass. Not even two minutes in the film. Yeah, and. Like you start off with a with a really really badass um, like fight sequence when I mean you know you you can you can uh, you know flag your guy as a badass without having to have like an elaborate fight sequence you know like you know he he talks shit back to this guy with this huge scar on his face and he does it with a with a grin and a smile you know he could just knock this guy out and and put an end to it and that that would say okay that this guy is pretty bad but. Uh, you, you open up with a with a whole fight sequence where he takes on what four guys, like you said, he plunges a knife into one of the guy's eyes. Like, yeah, I mean, it's I that that was my note. I said, wow, we're really starting off with a bang here. 
Yeah, and and that's one slight critique I, that I would have with this film is I feel like the tone, the tone for the most part, I feel like is is pretty good. It's pretty on the nose. Um, you know, the the knife in the dude's eye. I mean, it's okay. That yeah, that that's pretty violent, but it's also being played with a uh, little bit of tongue in cheek, if you will. Mm-hmm. But then there's these other scenes later on in the film where the the general Drago character is just so mercilessly, you know, executing these innocent villagers where it's kind of like, all right here, like we need to, this is kind of towing a different line here than what we initially signed on for with the film. In the same way, you can kind of paint a villain to be a bad guy without, without that, that kind of violence. But again, 80s action would have, would have the the villain do the same kind of shit. Like this opening fight sequence here was, was my alert that this is, not the direct action movie like the the fights in this are are a lot better a lot better put together right yeah i i I would totally agree and we you know we find out through some kind of awkward dialogue actually (laughs) that riggins is in prison because what he was caught smuggling weapons so he's a disgraced ex-american special forces soldier However, it's later revealed in the film that he wasn't really smuggling the weapons, but he was trying to get them out of American soil or something like that. Not a lot of attention is paid to this small detail. Yeah, no, it was I mean, they, they say that he's in prison for smuggling weapons. And, you know, based on the, the action hero, uh, you know, stereotype, he can't be a bad guy. So, you knew you knew that there was something else, something else going there. But I don't know that that one that seemed kind of clunky to me. And they were talking about when he said that he was trying to smuggle weapons out or trying to get weapons out. <laughs> that seemed a little well, off. Well, I feel like if this, you know what this, I mean, if this was an 80s action movie, I feel like what it would have done is it would have gone kind of the, the, the running man route mm-hmm. where basically he, you know, is an American soldier and he was ordered to kill some uh, innocent civilians. And he says no to that. And as a result, he turns the gun on his superior. And that is what, uh, that is what puts him in prison. You know what I mean? I feel like if this was full on eighties, they would have had him doing that, but instead they figure, eh, the easy out is he's smuggling weapons. Yeah. That's it. And it's funny. You mentioned a running man, because I was thinking of exactly that movie because of the way they, they set up John matrix. And that was, they like, they edited the, the video of, of what actually happened to make it look like he opened fire on, on civilians when he actually refused the order. And, you know, but that's neither here nor there. But um, yeah, like, you know, a, a good guy kind of um, either set up or, or misunderstood what he was doing. And, you know, that's why he ended up in prison. Well, and it, it's it's so funny that you mentioned uh, John Matrix. I believe John Matrix was actually Arnold's character's name in oh, Commando. Oh, man. If I'm not the, mistaken, um, I believe I believe the yeah, yeah, I believe right. the running man Arnold's name is Ben Richard. Yeah, damn it. So <laughs> I got my Arnold's mixed up. Come on, Doug. Yeah. I mean, you know, hey. I, I should uh, know better. It's okay. <laughs> um, apologies. Apologies. But, so no, no, it's totally cool. It's funny actually that you mention John Matrix because that was one of my notes as well. I mean, later on in the film, there's a scene where uh Riggins goes to the compound, the army compound to rescue the girl. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit. In the oh, film. Yeah, yeah. But this scene here reminded me entirely of commando because there's lots of explosions, firing machine guns. Mm-hmm. Dolph is a one man army. It's basically the scene at the end of commando, 
you know, where Arnold is storming the compound to rescue his daughter, only in direct action. This is in the middle of the movie. And instead of wearing those fatigues and that war paint, Mm -hmm. Dolph is rocking just pretty much that same blue sweater throughout the film. (laughs) See, now now here's here's where, like, all these, you know, these links come because, like, you you said that that reminded you of Commando. And I'm watching him, like, like the uh, just the line of explosions at the compound going off. And I'm like... I was thinking that it reminded me of the Predator, um, you know, before the Predator shows up, when they when all the commandos go in and, and just lay waste to that village. So, right. I mean, we're, we're, we're like on the same page, but we're just like a hair, a hair off from one another. That's one thing that I love about this film, though. I mean, is it is it is paying such an amazing homage mm-hmm. to, you know, to those particular films. Absolutely. So, I mean, if we bat, we should probably back up a little bit. But yeah, so. Riggins is in this prison, mm-hmm. and a suit from the American embassy arrives at the right moment and practically saves Riggins. Okay, he is, the character's name is Clive Connolly. He's played by noted character actor Michael Perret. Uh, it was kind of cool to see Michael Perret pop up in this, mm-hmm. but he's a representative from the American embassy in Bulgaria, and he offers Dolph's character Riggins the job of rescuing a kidnapped American gal in exchange for his freedom. So basically this uh, this young woman has been kidnapped and so Riggins is being paid 200000 to find and retrieve her character's name is uh, Anna Gale. And so, yeah, she's been kidnapped by a European bad guy by the name of, uh, I'm probably going to say his name wrong, but he's a European baddie. His name is Vlado Karajov. And so rumor has it actually that she's developed a little Stockholm Syndrome and has now fallen in love with her kidnapper. So they kind of warned off, we want you to rescue her. She's been kidnapped. However, rumor has it she has fallen and, and found, was it he says, sympathy for mm-hmm. her kidnappers here. Like that, that I mean, it, it's a little irresponsible to kind of float that out there because you're, you're kind of, you're kind of telling them, you're kind of telling the audience, you're telling Mike Riggins that like this girl, you know, might actually want to be there. You know, not because yeah. she's been kidnapped, because she's doing this on her own volition. But just in case she fights, she might have Stockholm syndrome, which you know, yeah. eh, give give the audience a little bit more credit than that. But I, I, I really, this guy, this uh, Clive uh, Connolly, the act, what's the actor's name? Mike Michael Michael Perret. Perret. Yeah, he he yeah. was was my favorite character in this. Like he acts, his acting is is unbelievable. Like he plays such a sleaze ball, right? He oozes sleeve the second he walks in into the uh, into the jail here, but uh, like he's you know beginning to end. He's just he's a he, he acts the shit out of this out of this role. Well, and that's that's the thing that that I think is is so fun about this film. I mean, going back to what we said earlier, I think Dolph and Michael Perret both showed up on set knowing that this is an extremely silly film. Okay, they're both very much aware of how silly and ridiculous it is. And yeah, they're having fun with it. I mean, one of the things I noted, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but man, both both Dolph and Michael Perret, I don't think I've heard either one of these actors drop as many F-bombs <laughs> as they have before in this film. I mean, but yeah, that they are, you can almost sense that, uh, that I imagine when the director, Danny Lerner, called Cut, they probably just were rolling their eyes like, yeah. oh boy. That. <laughs> well, that, I mean, 
again, man, like this, you want to bring it back to the eighties. They had a bunch of that, that foul language and the gratuitous, you know, the, the breast shots, like the, you know, like in a strip club in a little while, like there's no real other reason to put it there because just because, you know, it's an R rated film. We're going to get our, we're going to get our money's worth. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's got it all. It's got that. It's, it's, um, you know, it's got the F bombs and it's got the violence, the, you know, the, um, the, uh, I don't know, explicit violence, the blood spurts and everything. That's one thing. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up as well. That That's one thing that, uh, that it's just, it's just so ridiculous is before, before Dolph's character goes to the, uh, goes to the compound, actually before he even finds out that she is in this compound when he's looking for, uh, for who he thinks is a bad guy. We find out later on that he's actually not as bad as mm-hmm. he was made out to be. But when he's looking for Vlado, where is he? Well, he's got to go to a strip club mm-hmm. in order to find him. And yeah. that, that's one of those things from, from the 80s. I mean, it couldn't just be anywhere. It couldn't be an alley or it couldn't be any kind of gathering place. Oh, no. Bad guys hang out at strip clubs. Though. They don't really. And so that we're going to get our. We're gonna get our nudity. Oh some yeah, way. yeah. They don't. It's not they don't. They don't just hang out there. They run the place. They own the place. They they right. pimp the girls out. <laughs> you know, whatever whatever the cause is. But yes, it's always a strip club. You know, what's also funny about those scenes is it always seems like when the hero walks into one of these clubs, we will say you always have one gal who walks up to the hero and is like, you know, and kind of tries propositioning him, mm-hmm. and the hero is always. I don't have time for yeah, this yeah. and just pushes her away. Yeah. And I think he says something like maybe next time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have stuff to do here. Right. There's the, not at any point is the guy like, yeah, I got 10 or 20 minutes. Let's, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> even, even when the, even when the head bad guy is running the place is offering to pay, pay for it himself. Yeah. He's, no, no, seriously. You know, right. Please, right. Cause he, please cause we, cause we got to think of our hero as like a good, wholesome, wholesome guy. He's not going to sin to, you know, just to get his rocks off. He's got, he's got a job to do. Well, and I mean, Dolph's character makes a decision later on in the film, that I'm kind of like, eh, really? Would you have done that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but so, yeah, so Riggins finds out, uh, he goes to this, uh, this gentleman's club, we will say in Bulgaria. One thing that, uh, that I thought was funny as well is this is probably the most, how do I want to say this? This is a Millennium New Image production, and their uh, their 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 sets and their studios and their offices are set in Bulgaria. And I feel like this film in particular is really where, where I said earlier that this is the quintessential Dolph Lundgren film. I feel like in a lot of ways this is the quintessential Millennium Films film mm-hmm. as well because this is wearing its Bulgarian setting firmly on its sleeve as well. Just like yeah. just. Just like Dolph knows how uh, silly it is, but yeah, he, he finds out that uh, this character or this uh, this this victim, we will say, Anna Gale, that uh, she's being held captive on an army base by the notorious General Drago. Now, <laughs> let's just look at the character's name real quick. Yep. I said earlier how this film was written specifically for Dolph and with Dolph in mind. I don't even think it's so much of a coincidence that the lead evil general guy that his name is general drago no that that was a that was a the right in your face homage to his most famous character i i i you know i i chuckled and i rolled my eyes at the same time when i first heard it i said yeah you know oh i fan and service I, and that's the thing about this film 
Yeah, if you're if fan servicing, I think if you're not rolling your eyes one minute, you're chuckling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think those are the two reactions that you're going to have going through this film. That's fair. And, you know, I use them both a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he sneaks in his army compound, lays waste to it, wires it with numerous bombs. And he finds out that Anna, like I said, she's extremely reluctant to be rescued. Of course, he was kind of he was kind of told that this may happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And she claims that uh, she kind of tells him her side of the story, you know, the, her truth for that matter, is that she was never kidnapped. Actually, she was there completely voluntarily on her own. What she was a nurse. Right. Yeah. She was helping uh, Vlado's um, hemophiliac son. Like hemophiliac is like that's just the bleeding disease. Right. Like you need a, a, con I think so. a constant nurse on hand for that. Right, right. And so that that's all she was there for. She was not kidnapped. She was not held against her own will. Ironically, actually, Dolph becomes the kidnapper. Actually, he was sent to rescue her, and it's actually Dolph who was the one who's kidnapping her. Now, I have a question here. So he he lights this place up, just completely lights it up. and uh, he's But he's already seen innocent people on the complex. They were getting murdered, yes, but there were innocent people there. Does he think for any second that he's lighting his place up there that there may be more innocence around I, I wonder that as well but i think again going along with uh if we want to compare this to commando or predator if you will i think i think when you go into this film it's this is a place that houses nothing but bad guys mm -hmm. everybody in this entire compound is a villain for that matter and, right and, and all like, completely expendable yeah. I mean, I actually, I kind of had that same thought. I watched uh, Bad Boys 2 mm -hmm. again a couple weeks ago. And the final assault when uh, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith go to the uh, go go to Cuba or whatever to to rescue Martin Lawrence's sister. It's it's funny because, I mean, there are innocents there in that entire place, but they just complete they light it up as mm -hmm. well without any kind of. I mean, I, I imagine, I mean, gosh, maybe I need to watch it again, but it's one of those things where it's like, man, they, they just, they do not give a shit, do they? They, I guess everybody who's there is bad. Yeah. You know, you know what else? Uh, another note I had here, like the, another thing they don't give a shit about in this movie is collateral damage. Like how many innocent people <laughs> get killed, get shot because, you know, they, they were just in the crossfire or, you know, the bad guys just didn't care. They're, they're just, they're just you know, taking people down, just mowing them down, left them right. Like the, uh, uh, the train scene that's coming up next. There's, there's some people like celebrating a wedding, drinking and dancing, and they just kill that, that bride, that girl in the white dress, you know, cause they're taking a shot at, it's brutal. At I Riggins. mean, yeah. But I think again, it kind of goes back to the fact that look, this is Riggins here or better yet. This is Dolph Lundgren here. I mean, he doesn't have time for, <laughs> for, for, you know any any of this nonsense here? He he is a he is a wrecking machine, and we are just going to go along with it. Yeah, and, and again, like we're we're here to do a job, right? It's our it's our duty to to kind of pick apart certain things. This isn't a movie that's meant to be picked apart. It's just meant to be watched and enjoyed for what it is. But you know, like I said, we we got a job to do. We have a uh, an obligation to your fans. Yeah, you know, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, as I feel like when this film was made, okay, when it was financed and made and, you know, written for Dolph, 
Yeah, it, it was made for the fans, and this was not made to be really critiqued for that matter. I think they knew what they were making was an extremely silly and ridiculous mm -hmm. action film that, for the most part, they knew was not going to be picked apart and analyzed. Like we were doing right <laughs> yeah, now. for sure. But, you know... It, like I said, you, you know, being the host, have a duty to your to your fans. So so here we are. Well, I was just going to say, you know, in a twisty turn of events, the whole operation that was set up by Clive Connolly, um, we find out actually that that's not even his real name. Mm -hmm. OK, so the, the character played by Michael Perret, that that's not even his real name that he's been using on um, this entire operation was a ruse to get Anna out in the open because there are other players here at play, which we'll be getting to. Um, and we find out actually that General Drago and his entire army are on Connolly's payroll. Mm. And both General Drago, the army, and Connolly, for that matter, they're all working for an even bigger, more evil party. Uh, the character's name is Trent Robbins. He is a shady businessman, and he's actually played by James Chalk, who we've seen pop up in multiple Dolph Lundgren films before. Uh, and actually the show has had the, the privilege of speaking with James Chalk on a, on a previous episode. So yeah, it's fun to say that a friend of the show, James Chalk is in this film as well, but yeah, he and Dolph, uh, I've said it before, he and Dolph go way back. So anytime you see a Dolph film, most likely going to see James Chalk pop up in, uh, in some kind of role. All right. Well then not to offend your, your friend and guests, I'll hold my opinions on his acting. <laughs> Well, I, you know what? We'll just we'll go there right now, actually, because that's one of the things that uh, I mean, this was I mean, he's actually come into his own and he's honed his craft uh, exponentially since then. Mm. But, yeah, the the pretty much the puppet master, if you will, the this businessman who's running the entire show, Trent Robbins. What did you think of this turn here? Uh, this was one of the things that I loved about this movie was like right up until the end. Uh, no, not not right up until the end necessarily, but um, you know, until until they really come out as as the bad the main bad guys, you really didn't. They kept you guessing. You didn't know who the good guys and the bad guys were. Like they had this, you know, this this Vlado guy painted as as some some untouchable terrorist leader who you know who who's murders without you know without thinking twice, and then it, it turns out that you know he's. He just has a sick son and, and he was, you know, he needed help with a sick son and she was there under her own volition. And it was really, you know, like Connolly, who, who was pulling the strings. And first of all, like, I love that you said we his Clive Connolly isn't his real name. We never actually find out his real name. He's just known as Connolly for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no. Yeah. So, so 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 he's pulling the strings, but we don't know why he's pulling the strings for who. Like who really is behind this? And then we find out that it's her uncle. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you mentioned that when when you were describing him, Trent Robbins is her uncle, who's uh you know yeah. who, who has some interest in her her father her late father's business, and that that's what this is all about. But yeah, so so he's like the the guy behind the guy pulling the strings. You know, he's 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 the guy like writing the checks to all the bad guys. Like it's. They 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 had me, man. They had me like on the edge of my seat the whole time. I'm like, who's who's what is this about? <laughs> who's the good guys? Who's the bad guys? You have to appreciate a small little direct-to-video action film like this to employ. You know, you have you have to appreciate the fact that a small little action film like this employs 
a little bit of misdirection. Yeah. You don't see that a heck of a lot. And the fact that, yeah, we get some misdirection where Vlado, the notorious villain who we assumed kidnapped Anna. Yeah. Like you said, he's actually a good guy who ends up assisting Riggins and Anna mm -hmm. before he's shot. And then, yeah, we find out that Clive Connolly. I like the fact that you said we don't even really find his real name. It's kind of funny. It's like, why did you even throw out there the fact that that's not his real name if you're, if you're not even going to give it? Yeah, that's what I was I was thinking that. But I mean, that's just one of those one of those details, like a throwaway detail. But you're like, hmm, what was the point of that? Well, and uh, Trent, we find out. So the the puppet master of this entire thing, uh, Trent. This is James Chalk's character. He's actually Anna's uncle, and we find out that uh, Anna's father was. He was some kind of criminal. They don't really lean into exactly what kind of criminal activities he did, but he had some kind of criminal enterprise, and her father is now deceased, and Anna is the last remaining heir to his fortune and all of his dirty operations. So pretty much Trent Robbins has hired Connolly, and in turn Connolly has hired Drago's military team mm -hmm. to find Anna, excuse me, to find Anna and get her to sign over her inheritance to her uncle so that uh, Trent Robbins can be even richer and even dirtier than he was before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anna, by the way, the, the actress, uh, I didn't write her name down, but the actress that plays her, absolutely gorgeous. She really kills it in this Gina movie. Marie May. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I looked her up. Gina Marie May. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she's not... That's one thing that you have to appreciate as well. She... You know, a lot of these action movies, especially the ones being made nowadays, it seems like the older these action guys get, the younger their love interests are, which mm. kind of, in the end, kind of comes off as kind of creepy. Yeah. She's not super young, you know what I mean? Like, they, it's, it's, it's a little more believable and acceptable, the fact that they end up falling for each other like they do later on in the film. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I know what you're saying. I'm trying to think of one uh, off the top of my head, and I can't. But you're right. They, there are when I see like action or any movie star who's you know, you know, much older than I am, and they're hooking up with actresses younger than I am. Um, <laughs> I'm always a little, uh, you know, a little weird about that. But I mean, it's yeah, it's a movie. They, they don't say the age, so it doesn't really matter in the end. Well, and this particular actress, I mean, I, I looked her up on IMDb. I had never really seen her in anything else before, but she hasn't done much, mm -hmm. actually. She did direct contact in 2009, and then she did some other TV movie in 2014. But that's that's pretty much it. I mean, her uh, her resume and her filmography, for that matter, it, it has, you know, a good number of roles on it, but nothing incredibly recent. Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's for any particular reason. I think she's she's a fine actress in this. You know, she doesn't, uh, she's certainly not the worst, the worst thing on screen here. So, um, you know, I'm sure it's no fault of her own that, you know, that she hasn't gotten any, any bigger roles. So I, and I mean, okay. So James Chalk as the, uh, as the villain, I mean, you know, Hey, you can just say it right now. You, uh, are not a, uh, not the biggest fan of his acting here. We'll say, and I, I don't think you're alone in, in that assessment either, actually. Yeah. Some, some of his line delivery is really forced and uh it doesn't you know it, it doesn't flow i don't think his his emotion matches the the line that he's that he's reading it's i don't know i wasn't uh i wasn't all, all on board with trent with trent as a character he does get a, a a really funny scene actually i mean it's 
like I said, it's it's eighties action movie one hundred and one, and I'm glad that uh, that Chuck gets to have this moment. But it's the scene where again we've already established that uh, that Dolph's character is a badass, but there is the famed file scene where you know what I mean, no. where in order to find out, uh, you know, this character's background, well, <laughs> suddenly they're going to pull out this file. Where they get this file, I don't know. But it's always in a file folder that pretty much has his in- entire dossier and resume of, of everything. And so, yeah, I love that where James Chalk is, uh, uh, or Trent, however, what you, however you want to refer to him, James Chalk or Trent. Mm-hmm. Um, but where he pulls out the file and he's just like, wait, ex-Special Forces? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and he has experience in in warfare and everything. Oh boy, we we picked the wrong guy to mess with. Well, he, here. here's his his the list. He goes down: Marine, honorable discharge, weapons transporter, prison, solitary confinement. This guy's an out of control mercenary. Like, he, what about what yeah. about Marine, honorable discharge, weapons transporter, prison? Spend some time in solitary. What is that? What says out of control mercenary about that? Well, and I feel like if you want to go to. uh uh fellow action compatriot Steven Seagal. Every Steven Seagal movie always had this this moment here. But what's funny about Steven Seagal is they never really ran down the list. If you ever noticed uh, Steven Seagal's movies, it was always, oh, he's he's so mysterious and mm. he is such a badass that we're not even going to get into it. I mean, he is he is the ghost that trained yeah. all of the dead badasses. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. But uh, you know, we we get the uh, the entire resume. We get all all the hits, the hits here. But yeah, I mean, to this like seems it seems pretty calm, you know, to to get a a reaction that uh, that Trent gave us. But you know, like I said, that it was his you know acting choice, and it was the script that he was given. So yeah, we'll live with it. Well, and something else I wanted to throw out there that I thought was uh was kind of humorous as well. Again, going along with the silly nature of the film. I mean, the scene where where Mike Riggins comes back to rescue Anna because they're in that uh they're in that empty stadium, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so at first uh, Mike Riggins he he takes the money and he leaves, and so that pisses off Anna. She thinks that she's been doing Wait, hold on. And when he comes real, back to rescue real real quick, the the briefcase full of money is supposed to have 200 grand in it. Did you see, like, when he opens the briefcase, there's just, like, a couple of stacks of hundreds sliding around in there? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm sorry to... I forgot about that. Yeah. I'm like, that's supposed to be 200 grand? Okay. Well, and, you know, to be honest, I noticed that, but I was laughing. I was going gonzo laughing at the part. So, yeah, he comes back to rescue Anna, okay, because she's being bullied by Connolly in the empty stadium, and um, she gets slapped around, which is... You know, this film actually has some kind of slightly misogynistic undertones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clearly, this film was not written by any woman, nor did it have any female audiences in mind. No, and she, and but, she um, was like the, the lone female character. And it's the typical, again, go back to the 80s, like the damsel in distress needs to be saved by a big, strong man kind of trope. Which, I mean, you know, this is 2009, which... It's st- it's more recent, but it's still kind of you know it's still the I guess um, feminism wasn't on the forefront of anybody's mind, especially filmmakers back then. So you can't fault them for that. But now nowadays, you would never see a film like this with that kind of female character in it. No, no. But you know, like I was saying, the part where I was just laughing so hard. I mean, like you said, the the, the briefcase scene is is quite comical. But when Dolph comes back in to rescue Anna. 
the way in which he is holding the machine gun so casually with one hand and firing multiple rounds was hilarious to me. I mean, this, this kind of reminded me of those toy machine guns that you see for sale at like a flea market or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the way he is holding it and the way he is firing it as he is rescuing her. I mean, it's very much clear that, uh, yeah, I mean, in a weird way, it almost kind of feels it, moments like this. It almost kind of feels like a parody movie, you know, to to an extent. Like a but it's like not. a like Weird Al in a UHF, <laughs> like a parodying Rambo. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, just the way he is just so loosely holding that machine gun and 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 firing it and killing all those guys too. They're, yeah, and oh, that's yeah, the other yeah. thing too. They're firing at him, and he's not making any effort to dodge it at all and they're missing yet he's holding this machine gun with one hand and he's hitting all of them it is amazing like, you know I, I can i can ignore a lot in you know in cheesy films and i do for the most part but poor firearms realism like i have to call him out because it's you know it, you know me being a an, a a member of law enforcement like i i'm very uh up on gun safety and, you know, very conscious of stuff like that. But so he, when he shows up and he wildly fires this machine gun, he, he shoots at two guys with Anna and Connolly right behind them, which I mean, and you're, you're firing wildly. So you're not like, you, you know, you're not using marksmanship. So um, you're putting them in grave danger. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and from this point forward, what's, what's really kind of interesting is, from this point forward, it becomes pretty much a chase film for the next 35 minutes. I mean, there are multiple chases. It's pretty much just, what, one chase right after yeah. another, and these bits are repeated throughout the film. So I have another get, car chase, um, another chase, car chase, another car chase. You get a car, yeah, and I think one uh, stems from the train station, like you mentioned. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, uh, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of comical uh, to an extent, but one really cool chase sequence... Um, happens through the the city square in Bulgaria after uh, Riggins meets with uh, Clive Connolly. Mm. And so it's Dolph on a Yamaha motorcycle, uh, conveniently wearing a helmet to disguise Uh the fact that it's not Dolph. (laughs) (laughs) As he's running from Jeep Humvees and helicopters. I mean, while it is not Dolph, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. I I would think that it's easy, easier to outrun Humvees on a, on a crotch rocket. You know, then in like your typical car and they're just keeping right up with them. And they that's when the, the snipers were firing at them, too, right from their from their uh, elevated positions. And the one guy, like, I, I don't know, it, it's like as if he knew like the first shot that was fired, he knew that it was coming because he moves out of the way and it gets that that waiter. Another, like, like I said, the casual or the uh, the collateral damage that that this movie doesn't give a shit about, you know, poor waiter just trying to earn minimum wage gets gets taken out by a sniper but again 80s action had tons of these you're right right yeah i mean that that's i mean that's clearly what this is you know it's it's harkening back to the 80s action films that we loved and enjoyed well and probably the most unnecessary and bizarre moment in the film for me at least is anna falls for Dolph. oh my god okay so they've 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 escaped (laughs) thank you for for (laughs) saying this because yeah go ahead it's it's so weird to me, Doug. Okay, so okay, they have gone through multiple car chases. Okay, multiple chase sequences. Okay, mm-hmm. they've survived all of them, and 
So yeah, Anna falls for Dolph, and they do get a love scene. Thankfully, the camera fades to black. Yeah. Because I, I remember I remember listening to you on, on one of your episodes where you were talking about the specialist. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as much as we love these 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 action powerhouses that are guys like Dolph and Sylvester Stallone and Arnold for that matter, seeing them in love scenes just doesn't really work. I don't think they're the they're they're that's really their forte is is doing these particular particular scenes. And so thankfully the camera fades to black. But what bothered me about this scene, Doug, is narratively it's weird. Yeah. Because earlier in the film it was noted that Anna may have fallen in love with her kidnappers. Yet ironically, she ends up falling for Dolph's character who arguably kidnapped Who's her. Who's her actual kidnapper? <laughs> Unfortunately, you you you've reminded me of that specialist love scene which i i can't i can't shake the image of stallone's bare ass grinding on top of uh sharon stone and you know thank you for for bringing that back up um but yeah thankfully uh you know we didn't get any of that there there wasn't i mean it was it was a forced and unnecessary scene because like there, there's you don't you don't need that it's not it's not um crucial to the plot or anything like that it could have been done without if it was going to be like a gratuitous love scene. Like, you know, I just got the, the douche chills when I thought about the specialist again, uh, like a gratuitous love scene like that. When, when you're just, you know, Stallone being the, uh, the, uh, egotistical Stallone that he is, uh, you know, wanted to show his body off and Sharon stone reluctantly in that, in that film reluctantly, uh, got naked for that. Um, you know, it wasn't that, in, in this movie, it wasn't like a like a, a a shoehorned scene just so you can just so Dolph can show off his body and this actress can show off hers. You know, it really was forced and unnecessary, and it, and it wasn't crucial to the plot whatsoever. Yeah, thankfully, like you said, it doesn't linger on like uh, like so many of these other films may have done. But again, it just it doesn't work narratively in the film, considering you know it established earlier she might have Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. And what do you know? Now, granted, you, you could say Dolph kidnapped her. You could say Dolph, you know, saved her, however you want to want to say to it. But it's one of those things where I honestly think, Doug, the writers, it, it's it's almost like they didn't even consider that as being weird. They just figured, eh, we need to get, you know, Dolph is the hero. He needs a uh, he needs a hot girlfriend yeah. in this film and uh, we'll get them together. But I feel like if they had just stepped back and thought about it. You know, it, I mean, it kind of goes back to, you know, the previous film you and I discussed, Direct Action. You know, at the end of Direct mm-hmm. Action, he, uh, the, 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 the cop who Dolph played in that particular film, Frank. he ends up getting with, uh, the Frank, Frank again. And yeah. thank you. Yeah. He ends up getting with, getting together with his partner at the end. And it's kind of like, you know, as a, as a fan of these action movies, I don't need to see the hero get romantically involved with someone at the end of the film. I would be perfectly fine with them being, just friends and parting ways. You know what I mean? But I feel like the people here at New Image think that we de- we as de- we as action fans that we are have to have this. Well, it's really I mean, think about the 80s, you know, and and I hate to keep bringing it back to the 80s, but I mean, this one has has all the has all the makings of it. Um, but think about it. Like they have a formula, right? Um, you have an American Ex special forces, whatever, who's tapped to, to, for some heroic mission. There's a ton of violence. There's a ton of killing, explosions, gunfire, 
and uh, a love interest. I don't know why, but I mean, it, and there is nothing more unsettling than seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger kiss a woman. Uh, you know, I, you, you think Stallone is bad, um, but, you know, I mean, like Arnold, you know, think about it, though. Arnold doesn't have a whole lot in his action films. Um, but he's, you know, no, thank you. Yeah, I know. But the, the ones that he has, I mean, and, and the ones that come to mind really are, um, like twins and kindergarten cop, <laughs> which, which are hardly, uh, you know, commando and predator and stuff. But, uh, you know, seeing him, uh, kiss a woman is very unsettling anyway. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the love interest is always maybe, maybe it's more of a nineties thing because Rambo never really had a love interest either. So maybe it's, maybe it's more of a, a nineties action movie trope so we get the best of both decades you know i feel like the only one of these action guys who has really ever been able to pull it off is jean-claude van damme mm-hmm. i mean he got a ton of love in his films and um y- you know for some reason i don't know uh but but in my opinion it doesn't uh it, it, with 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 him and those films time cop and nowhere to run and all, the, all those other ones it it's is not as unsettling as you said as uh, guys like Schwarzenegger. And <laughs> yeah, so. for so. sure. Uh, we'll just uh, we'll just chalk it up to you know, like they they have a formula they, w- they want to follow, and and shoehorning in a, a love scene is is part of that formula. Well, the climax of the film takes place in an empty mansion, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. hey, you th- this particular film they want to throw out more explosions. Now, th- so, what is a better place that you can to blow a shit up? Than an empty man. It confused me a little bit because they were heading right for the U.S. Embassy, and then they they kind of like banked a hard left before they got to the gate, and then I thought this was like like a secret back door to the embassy <laughs> somewhere, and I'm like, wait, they had the front gate like so securely armed and guarded, but this back gate was like, you know, not armed at all, not guarded at all, but no, it was uh like an offsite thing, I guess, not part of the embassy. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, and if there wasn't enough machine gun firepower throughout the film already, here the production crew is clearly putting most of their budget mm-hmm. towards this portion here as well. I mean, narratively, again, kind of like what you said, maybe it doesn't make a, a heck of a lot of sense with, you know, how they're able to get in and out of this particular location. But again, tons of explosions, tons of, uh, uh, machine guns going off. I mean, it's 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 pretty much at this point tying up all loose threads and everything. Everyone who was bad is going to get it here in a death. One one of the bad guys in particular gets a, a glorious death, which we're going to get mm-hmm. to. It's a little disappointing though that the character of uh, Uncle Trent, we'll call him. That's James Chuck's character, Uncle Trent, and um, Drago. They meet their demise just by getting shot. Yeah. I was kind of hoping for something a little better there, but um, apparently they decided to, <laughs> to to put most of the of the death budget toward Connolly's character, well, right? Yeah, I mean, I, and I knew it like leading up to this. I said, okay, you have three big main bad guys. You need to have three big deaths. And Drago's death was just that was, that just sucked. I, I was really hoping because he yeah. he you know, you can see him as as the most despicable character in this movie, because he's the one that unabashedly kills innocent people right in front of children. There was a, that, that was another thing. There was a lot of people getting killed in front of children too, in this movie, but, um, so going back to direct action, yeah. same thing happened in right? direct action, man. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but Drago's death sucked. He he just he just gets shot in like a like a gun battle. He, he I mean he just dies in like like your your run of the mill shootout that he gets shot like two or three times. Big deal. Like he was such a despicable character that that he deserved something, you know, like a like a a shot right in his forehead or something something a little more graphic. Well, especially yeah. Uncle Trent. I mean, it only makes sense that Uncle Trent uh die at the hands of of his niece Anna, yeah, right? But the way totally. in which she just you know she just shoots him as well, and you know he gets a couple bullet holes, and uh, <laughs> and that's how he meets his demise. But again, I, I guess you know what? Hey, they're saving it all for the ultimate money shot of the film. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. and this is the shot that you saw that you said, Sean, we got to talk about this movie. Yeah. So uh, Riggins and uh, Connolly, that's Michael Perret's character, uh, they get into a one-on-one fist fight, and it's uh <laughs> if it wasn't established already how silly this film is uh here it is fully on display so Beautiful. They, they get into this they get into this one-on-one uh a fight and uh Connolly doesn't even stand a chance against Dolph Dolph just manhandles him and then uh he <laughs> Dolph's character Riggins uh puts a grenade into the shirt of Connolly mm-hmm. pushes him out a window where he blows up midair and it is awesome. Like it is absolutely glorious. This scene. The, the greatest death in cinematic history. <laughs> it was it, glorious is, is just the, the perfect word for it. And and seeing that when you sent that to me months ago, um, I, I'm watching this movie and I'm I'm going through my head like throughout the entire movie, like who deserves that death? I'm watching Drago's scenes and I'm like, man, that that guy is pretty 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 bad. Like he he could probably. It, like it would be really satisfying to see him get blown to smithereens. And I'm like, Trent is a bad guy. Like he's, you know, he wants her dead, and that's not cool and everything. But is he bad enough to warrant getting blown to pieces? I'm like, Connolly's a bad dude. He's like, he's like pulling all the strings. He doesn't care who gets killed and everything. But does he exactly deserve that kind of death? Like the whole movie, I'm like, who is that? Who gets blown apart? And uh, and it was Connolly. And I, I was I was just smitten. I was like, that is. That is great. That's beautiful. Well, and I don't know how exactly they filmed this moment. I mean, they obviously had to have a dummy filled mm-hmm. with all sorts of fake blood and goo. I mean, and it's practical. That's the other thing you have to appreciate. It is a practical effect of this dummy. It, it's like just a, a watermelon, if you will, mm-hmm. blowing up midair. And it is it is an amazingly uh, stupid, we can say it right now, but it is <laughs> so awesome to see it's hokey for sure but it would yeah i mean i'm not gonna kill him on the realism of a, a grenade blowing somebody apart like that but god damn was it wonderful to see well and with all of the bad guys uh out of the picture and dead uh one of them mm-hmm. is in fact in pieces uh, mm-hmm. the the film ends with uh 
Dolph, uh, I'm assuming he's leaving, what, the American Embassy, right? For sure, yeah. Yeah, and Anna picks him up. She's also rich, thanks to mm -hmm. her inheritance from her terrible father. And mm -hmm. she tells Dolph in a particularly hilarious line of dialogue and exchange, she tells Dolph, I thought I'd kidnap you for a change as they drive off into the sunset and credits roll. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess I guess you need like uh, some sort of epilogue in this just to, you know, for everybody to know that the heroes are OK. You know, they they ride in the sunset, they ride off into the sunset together and everybody's everybody's happy. So, all right, Doug, here we are. Moment of truth, okay? I know that you said you uh, liked this film more than direct action. So, um, and, I, and I'm proud to say that I have once again exposed you to a, uh, or excuse me, directed you to, <laughs> to, another, uh, to another Dolph Lundgren film uh, from his direct-to-video era that you would not have seen. So, first of all, Doug, you're welcome. Um, I... <laughs> I will say, uh, but yeah, moment of truth. Um, does this film get a recommend from you? Uh, not just as a uh, Dolph Lundgren film, but as an action film in general, what do you have to say? Uh, I say a hell yes. I mean, direct action was, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed it for the story. I, I, I don't know that there's, there's something about like, uh, you know, corrupt cops that kind of, that kind of, piques my interest as unrealistic as it is like a whole group of guys going bad like that. Um, I like the storyline of direct action better than the cinematography of it, the acting in it, the, the, uh, um, screenplay, you know, was choppy. And, um, but this, this was, it was filmed. Well, it was written, uh, you know, I guess it, it was written better than, than a typical action film, I would say it was clunky in some parts, but not enough to really, to really turn me sour to it. The action was phenomenal. The, uh, the fight scenes were great. The car chases, a lot of explode. It was everything that you can want in an action film. And it was enjoyable to watch. You know, you don't even, you don't even need to follow like a, like a hard story in it because like the action really like tells the story, you know? Yeah. Well said. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. You know, I will say now, okay, I, I will say this film is ridiculous, okay? The acting is bad. The special effects are bad. The dialogue is bad. Uh, I think the overall twists and uh, twists within the story are a little lame and, and cheesy. But I will say, as I said earlier, that this is the ultimate Dolph Lundgren film. I, I you know, I think it's very clear that this film was made specifically uh, for fans and by fans of the big guy. And everybody involved knows it, especially Dolph Lundgren. I mean, I think he signed on for this project with his tongue firmly in his cheek, knowing mm -hmm. how it was going to look and turn out. But he rolled with it, as did everyone else on set. I mean, it has everything the fans of the action genre would want. Tons of explosions, car chases, shootouts, dopey one-liners, and a pretty girl. So if you can go into this knowing all of this in mind, then I think there is a lot of fun to be had here. I think it's also fair to say that, you know, going through his entire filmography, this is probably one of the most absurd and ridiculous of all of his films. But like I said, I'm going to keep going back to it. In many ways, this is the, the ultimate Dolph Lundgren vehicle that almost feels like a parody 
of an 80s action film, only this one has an 80s action star actually involved and in on the joke. Uh, so for fans, I think this definitely gets a recommend because this is, this is clearly made for fans by a company that specializes in these kind of cheesy, machismo, exploitive action flicks. So I think if you have, if you have access, uh, Tubi TV, IMDb TV, these are all free streaming apps. Uh, check it out. I, th- I think it, uh, it will please all fans of action, regardless if you're uh, a fan of, uh, of the big Swede or not. Nicely done, man. And thanks again for having me on. This was a ton of fun. Yeah. Well, and I'm not going to let you go without, uh, you know, giving a shout out to your show, Rocky Minute. I know everyone is, is anxiously and, uh, looking forward to season three. I know that's still in the works, but, um, yeah. Is there anything else that you're working on or anything else you want to give a plug or shout out to? Yeah, well, we moved the uh, the Rocky Minute feed from from Dueling Genre. We're no longer with that network. Uh, we joined forces with uh, Ryan Rubalkin and Craig Cohen of uh, Going the Distance and uh, Slycast, respectively. And uh, we're we are now known as the Sylvester Stallone Fan Podcast Network. Uh, right now, while we're working on season three, we are re-releasing all of the season one and two episodes in case there's new fans that have not heard us before uh, since, since joining forces with those guys. So, um, so yeah, so we're in the middle of season one re-release of season one as we're recording season three. Uh, I, I really wanted to have season three <laughs> out and probably wrapping up by now, but you know, some, uh, you know, major global pandemic and uh, you know, some life changes happened. So that, that slowed the production of season three, but uh, I guarantee you it's coming. It's coming. So, uh, so stand by. And if you want to catch up on Rocky Minute Season 1 and 2, uh, we're, we're at uh, the Sylvester Stallone Fan Podcast Network. Yeah, and you can actually ca- you can catch up both of us um, uh, expounding upon Minutes 1 through 3 of mm-hmm. uh, Rocky 3 when you, uh, when you see that. That was a ton of fun to sit down with you uh, for that one, which, oddly enough, was a year ago, actually, oh this month. Oh, my God. So, oh, you're killing me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, we'll be looking forward to that. But Doug, as always, this was a ton of fun. Thank you. You know, I, I kind of cheesily earlier said you're welcome for, uh, <laughs> for, no, it... for directing you to this one, but I appreciate you, uh, taking the time to, uh, sit down and talk about this, uh, silly film that I don't think, uh, many others, actually, I know for a fact, I don't think there are any other podcasts out there that are taking such a, uh, such a look at this little film, but I do appreciate it. You're doing the Lord's work there, Sean. <laughs> as are we all as are we all uh wait well, doug thank you very very much this was a ton of fun um to everyone out there who is listening please feel free to rate and review the show on itunes stitcher or wherever else you go to subscribe we always appreciate the reviews and we'll see you all next time on i must break this podcast <laughs>